You're listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, at Google Play, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify. Today, I am joining my man, my main man, John Lucas Duffy, to talk about the NBA Finals. We got the Golden State Warriors. We got the Toronto Raptors. For the first time, the NBA Finals is coming to the six here on the SBNY Podcast. Here we go. Sports Blog New York Podcast, NBA Finals Preview. Pete Kennedy here joining my guy, John Lucas Duffy. What up, Duff? How are we doing, man? What up, what up, PD? Dude, it's up. It's all up. It's all the way up. It's up to the six. It's up to Canada. Shout out to Ron Raptors. Is it way up? Do you feel blessed? <laughs> I feel blessed. It feels like it's God's plan, if you will. Um, Team of Destiny? It might be. Kawhi Leonard might just be that guy. To take the team with no hope to the promised land. The team that couldn't get out of their own way. The team that we have come to expect to blow it on the biggest stage. The Toronto Raptors. Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, formerly led by Dwayne Casey. It seemed like this group of people just would never get over that hump. They just wouldn't. And they get Kawhi Leonard. And I think everybody's a little guilty thinking how he didn't play for basically a full year. The last time we saw him at the peak of his powers, he had to get helped off the court after suffering an injury um, up 20 points against this Golden State Warriors team. Well, not this exact Golden State Warriors team, but close enough. But Kawhi comes back, and he plays 58 games or whatever he played, and he looked great at points. He looked okay at points. He took a lot of games off, as we know. But playoffs turned on, and boy, did he turn up. I mean, he reminded everybody that he is not to be messed with in the NBA when it comes to playoff time, when it comes to winning time, when it comes to adjusting to the pressure of the moment time. Kawhi Leonard will guard your best player. He'll drop 30 on your head, and he'll do it with not even a smile on his face. The robot of Kawhi Leonard. Duff, he he did it. I mean, we all knew it, it was there. We all knew he had it in him. But we all had to kind of see it to believe it again. And that mixed with the fact that it's the Toronto Raptors who have never been to a finals. It was seemed to be the perfect storm of a conference finals team. But they knocked down the Milwaukee Bucks. Just off the bat, what's your level of excitement about this matchup? What's your level of impressiveness when it comes to Kawhi and these Raptors? Overall vibes when you come to realize we have Warriors-Raptors NBA finals. I think this is the best finals we could have hoped for going into the playoffs because just as, as from a neutral basketball fan perspective, I probably would have liked to see the Sixers, but we all know how that turned out. Um, we had the best team on in either conference who was playing through all these playoffs. It was like none of this really seemed to be a fluke. Like, yes, I guess game seven against Philly for, for Toronto, but really I think throughout that whole series – the Raptors got better and the Sixers kind of got worse as the, as the series went on. And Kawhi Leonard has clearly shown himself to be the best player in the East. And the, the Warriors always were the best team in the West, and that's just what it was. And the East playoffs this year really did not disappoint. 
No. I feel like the playoffs in general didn't, but the East in particular. Um, I, I'm really excited to see Kawhi back. And the last time he was in a finals, he was he was outdueling LeBron James. So this is going to be incredible what's going to happen now that you know LeBron isn't in these finals and you have Kawhi Leonard right here ready to maybe dethrone the um, dynasty that kind of consumed LeBron over the past four years. Three out of four, I guess. Yeah, and like you said, the last time we saw him in the finals, he was the engine on the most well-oiled machine that we've seen in a long time. Um, That Heat team was what we thought was at the peak of their powers. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, and going for a three-peat, right? Going for three out of four. And the Spurs had lost the year before, and, and we know that sometimes it takes uh, some struggle or some adversity to then push yourself over that hump. Maybe the Bucks are learning that the hard way right now. But like you said, Kawhi Leonard was the MVP of the last finals he played in. He was the best player. And that was before he we really realized who he was and who he could be. Because that season, when he won finals MVP, he wasn't averaging 25 points a game. I think he was in the high teens, if I'm not mistaken. Um, during the regular season? During the regular season, he sneaky... 12. Won- no, 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 no. No. That was the year before. I'll, 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 double check that while I make this point here. double here. check that. Let me double but check that. It's easy to remember Kawhi Leonard the season after he won finals MVP, where he was that offensive powerhouse just dominating people and scoring 25 points a game. I'm pretty sure the year before that he was around 18. Duff is going to check that for us right now. Um, But he became this all-around superstar, whether before he was maybe a two-way superstar who was a lockdown defender who can score, who can shoot, can do a little bit of everything. Then he became a true all-around superstar, and this year he proved it tenfold. He proved it even more. So it's that it's that impressive, and I don't know if the Raptors are the well-oiled machine that the Spurs were that year they took down the Heat, but nonetheless, the Warriors are back. It's a little weird with Durant being hurt, with Boogie being hurt, but this team is still powerful, and this team is still favored to win, whether or not we know Durant's going to be playing or not. Um, but now there's a competitor in Kawhi Leonard, and something I like to remind people, you know, the Bucks had the best record in the East, best record in the NBA. Kawhi Leonard only played 60 games this year. If Kawhi Leonard played 78 and really cared about getting that one seed or really cared about being uh, an MVP in the regular season, maybe the Raptors are the team we look at who had the best record in the NBA. So that's something to remember when we think about how good the Bucks were, and they were really good, not taking anything away from them. But we looked at them as the best ple- uh, team in the league. Meanwhile, the Raptors, if they were at full force all year long, they could have easily been that team with the best record. That's a great point, and that was something that I was kicking myself for after the series was over on so the Eastern Conference Finals was over on Saturday. Um, everyone kind of pointed to the Bucks, said, "Hey, best team, best record, best player." You know why wouldn't why shouldn't they win this series? But honestly, we all forgot the fact that Kawhi sat out twenty games, and I think if he pl- or twenty two games, and I think if he played those twenty two games, it's pretty safe to say they weren't going to go like two and twenty. And like have a tied record <laughs> in that scenario, like well, they did. Pretty, they honestly, they did pretty well without him anyway in the regular season. They did, but you don't think he would have been worth like a couple more wins? Oh, I do. I, I at do least just to so. get him, at least just to be tied, just as good in the regular season for sure. So, like for as much as people say the regular season doesn't matter, unless there's like one team who's really tanking it, it just doesn't care about seeding, you know. 
for example, the Raptors this year or the Warriors last year. Who or just the Cavs like kind of, any of the past three years. <laughs> or the Cavs any of the past four years. So, or yeah, I guess they were number one seed the year before that, right? Their Maybe. first finals run? I, I couldn't tell you, but I'm assuming they tried yeah, harder than the, than the other years. <laughs> but but it, it, it shows, like, it, A, the regular season is a completely different animal because if teams, like, are really that good, they can kind of just be like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. Like, we're going to do whatever we want in the regular season, make sure we're healthy for the playoffs because, as Draymond Green says, there are 82-game teams and there are 16-game teams. And, you know, if you're playing that 82-game season – that's not that's not the ultimate goal. You want to be playing that 16 game season. What he means by that is like 16 wins in the playoffs gets you a championship. So that's what the Warriors always have their eye on. They they happen to get first in the in the West this season. That's what the Raptors really had their eye on, and they were like, "Look, Kawhi, we're gonna show you. It's about postseason success, and we're gonna let you rest as much as you want. We know that leg bothers you." We're going to take care of you here. We're going to make sure you can extend your career and give you the best possible um, health situation by the time we make it to the games that are really m- meaningful in terms of legacy. Because that's that's what really matters. No one, re- I mean, that's not fair to say no one remembers, but you're really remembered by what happens in your in the in your playoff yeah, career. You, you more easily forget the regular season. Absolutely, and. You know, one, like one person I can think of that hasn't fallen victim to that is like Charles Barkley. But other than that, kind of, kind of everyone's fallen by the wayside. If, if you don't have some measure of extreme postseason success, and at least Chuck went to a, he went to a finals with the Suns, and b, he was the best player on the Dream Team. Like for all the people who watch that, they all say the same thing: Chuck was the best player on that. So he did have some postseason success, not the mountaintop, but this is what it's all about. This is what really matters, and people pointing to the regular season, and really, I include myself in this. That I, what I was kind of like, I was thinking about it, but not saying it, and I was just so convinced that Giannis, he won the MVP. Like I really thought it was his time, and it wasn't. And Kawhi is still here, and just just to close the loop on this, Kawhi averaged twelve point eight points in the twenty thirteen fourteen regular season. The one, the one he won the Finals MVP. Yeah, 2014 finals. Oh, my God. And then the next year, did he pump it up to 20? 22 years old. And then his next year, he was, what, 20-something points per game? 16 and a half. 16 and a half. Wait, when did he become become a 20-point scorer? The year after that? 2015-16 season. Wow. And that was the year he got hurt in the finals. I mean, the the conference finals. And Zaza, Zaza Um, Zaza'd him. I think that was 17. 16, 17, right. 16, 17. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah, right. So there was a little more years in between what I'm saying and the Zaza thing. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. the year he won Finals MVP, he was not this 25-a-game guy who we see today. Um, but that kind of goes to a further discussion we're going to have here in regards to Giannis and the Bucks and them having to take their lumps. It's just natural progression of a franchise who is that good. I mean, the Warriors, it felt like they kind of burst on the scene and won, but realistically they had their their taste of playoff experience the year before they won their first championship with Mark Jackson didn't get over the hump Steve Kerr comes in and we know what happened same thing if you think well, about Well you know what's interesting about that people like Kyrie and Kevin Love didn't play in that series Do you do right. you think the Warriors still would have won that first championship I give them the benefit of the doubt that they still could have should have would have won it but it's too hard it's too much to take away what happened because then you can say the Cavs may have never won theirs if Draymond doesn't get suspended and and so on and so forth. So I don't really like playing that game. I do think it would have been more difficult 
um, just based off how that first game went when Kyrie was still there. Uh, so it would have been more difficult, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they would have been able to pull it off with or without the health of the Cavs. So I, I don't love playing that game, if that makes sense. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, if you think about it, over the course of history, these teams have to take their lumps. I mean, LeBron took it in Cleveland, and they even took it in Miami. Uh, the Spurs lost once to Miami. They come back better than ever, and they beat Miami in that fourth season with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. It, it's a natural progression, and the Bucks might be going through it. But uh, just to do some cleanup here, Sports Blog New York Podcast, of course, John Lucas Duffy and Pete Kennedy here. Uh, also, shout out to our friends at Team Left Jab Radio. Sometimes, Duff, I forget, you know, we're doing this podcast. We love doing it. Uh, this is super, super fun for us. We get our reps in. We try to get better every podcast we do, have a ton of fun with this. But there are people out there who are listening, and we appreciate that. Like, that's that's insane. That's awesome. And we love that people, whether it be Sports Blog New York or Team Left Jab, tune into our show to hear NBA, to hear MLB, to hear NFL, whatever it may be on a given episode. So shout out to all you guys, and don't be bashful. Like, reach out to us. We love interacting with people. Um, if I have a friend who I see at a bar or a friend who I talk to for the first time in a while and they say they check out an episode, that thing, that like makes my whole day. So shout out to anybody who tunes in to this fine podcast. Um, but in regards to what we're talking about today, obviously we're going to be previewing this finals matchup with the Warriors and the Raptors, but I want to touch on the Bucks. And then we, we kind of have to do some cleanup from a league-wide standpoint here with LeBron James not being, not just not in the finals, but not in the playoffs. And I want to talk about how that feels, what that means, and what that's going to kind of mean from a nationwide sports standpoint. Because standpoint. we heard the rumblings over the past couple of years, Duff. Oh, I'm so tired of the Warriors and the Cavs. Let's just skip to the finals. We know what it's going to be. We know what it's going to be. And this is the perfect example of we don't always know what it's going to be. And these dynasties and these things we chalk up that are going to happen no matter what don't always happen the way we think they're going to. If you were told last year why LeBron James had put together one of the best finals performances in the history of the NBA in Game 1 last year, that he wouldn't be in the playoffs a year later, people would think you're crazy. So these things don't last forever, and these things don't always happen as you expect it to. Shout out Milwaukee Bucks. We thought, I mean, how many people do you know off the top of your head? Can you think of any who picked the Raptors to win that series stuff? Uh, I can think of just like a, a people that we know or anyone I've heard around, like online or like, anything. Like a small few, though. It is like the, the yeah, big no, minority. The, the Bucks were heavily favored. So have you enjoyed the playoffs without LeBron? Let me just ask you that straight up. I, I really have, and that's not to say I prefer the playoffs without LeBron. I think him not being in the playoffs has created sort of this, you know, like attention or media vacuum where they need to fill it with other players who really have been living in his shadow for a decade at this point. And it, it's really shed light on players like Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum or Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid or, you know, Giannis and Kawhi, both in the Eastern Conference now without LeBron. So it really has been an exciting run, I think, for a lot of young players who are on the come up. And the it it just really bears out how deep this league is. It, it Even now, even still, I think every every year we're adding – some great new cornerstone piece to a team and through the draft, just young players. You can see it coming each and every year, whether it's a, a Jason Tatum or a Luka Doncic or a soon to be a Zion Williamson. Like it's, it's 
it's great players throughout the league. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, who's had his taste of, play, uh, of the playoffs, or it, it's really been a lot of fun to see, specifically Portland, because we've that they, they seem to garner like a lot of negative attention for a team that's so fun to watch, especially when they're home uh, on any random league pass night. Think of the Nets game that we watched. Um, when, when was that? Like February? Was that right before or right after the All Star break? That'd be after, because that's when Nets, Nurkic went down. Nets Blazers, yeah, it was after. It was yeah, after. Nets Blazers. That was in like March or Levert something. was already back, and yeah. he had obviously experienced a similar feeling of broken leg, and yeah. then was on the floor when it happened to his colleague in, in Nurkic, even though he's on. A different that was team. just like some random game you were watching. And you're like, dude, yeah. if you're near a TV right now, you put this on. Yeah. And I, I immediately did it, and it was incredible. Like, I really feel like Portland was, like, one of the biggest winners from these playoffs. Even though they got swept out in the Western Conference Finals, they really showed flashes of of, of being able to compete the way they were up 17 points. Like, seven, they were up, like, 17, 17, and 15 in the last three games of the series, uh, in games two, three, and four. And it, they have Nurkic they could potentially hold on to any one of those leads, I feel like, and and really make the series interesting or make the Warriors feel uncomfortable. I never felt like the Warriors ever got uncomfortable at any point in that series, but I feel like if the, if the Blazers were at full capacity, they have Nurkic, Rodney Hood's not banged up, Damian Lillard doesn't have separated ribs, uh, it could have been sort of their coming out party. I'm not saying they would have won. It would have been like, hey, good thing we kept this thing together because we could have been a force to be reckoned with. And with no LeBron or with LeBron, I don't think any of that stuff happens. Yeah, I hear that. And what I try to remind people, and sometimes I feel like I'm screaming into the mountains and no one's listening, but other people have said it as well. The Lakers were entrenched in the middle of that playoffs of the Western Conference before LeBron James got hurt. And no matter how I skin it, if I just put this Lakers team, despite how disappointing it ended for them or how disappointing it was after LeBron got hurt, if you put that team at full strength when they were the fourth seed in the West with LeBron, with the healthy Lonzo, with the Brandon Ingram, with the, their other ragtag team of misfits with Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, and you throw them in there instead of the Spurs or instead of the Clippers or instead of um, Oklahoma City in the first, second round, you put LeBron in a series and all bets are off. So I'm with you that I don't think this playoffs suffered from not having LeBron, but I think there was something to gain from having him in it, right? If if the Lakers and Warriors played in the first round or second round or conference finals, it would have been absolutely electric and we would have all benefited from the product on the court. So on one hand, I'm very sad, but I do think the other teams, the other superstars stepped up in that sense where they did kind of carry um, the league's burden of being interesting, being exciting. I mean, a guy like Nikola Jokic is the perfect example of a guy whose regular season play may not transfer to the playoffs. And he answered all those questions and was arguably one of the best, maybe three to five players in the playoffs before they got eliminated. And I think that's fantastically impressive. So shout out to guys like Jokic. You said Lillard. And then, uh, obviously, Kawhi Leonard. The real disappointment of the playoffs probably was the Celtics. The team who thought they can flip the switch, who thought they were a 16-game team, uh, turned out they weren't an 82-game team or a 16-game team because they just crapped the bed in the second round versus the Bucks. Other than that, even the Blazers getting swept, even the Rockets not being able to capitalize Durant's injury, 
there was tons of great basketball, tons of excitement, tons of drama, and I don't think they suffer from not having LeBron, but there was something to gain if he was in it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That seems fair. But like, you really think any at any round there was a lot of fun action going on. Like maybe not the first round so much, but even the Clippers pushed the Warriors to six games. Like that was alarming for everyone. Like it, for the Warriors, for people who were even talking about it, then they were saying, oh, no, no, they'll be fine. But even the back of their head, they were like, all right, maybe not this round, but they get the Rockets coming up. And I think that's another team that was – kind of a big loser this summer it was okay you know we're about to it's they're go down 2-0 they tied up 2-2 katie goes down did katie not play in game five and six or just six he got hurt in game five he got hurt in game five yeah so and then, then they, and they won game five and then they won game six yeah the the warriors are going to houston without kevin durant and this is this is the rockets moment to be like yeah, see, look, when we have all our guys healthy and you guys are missing Kevin Durant, now what? And they just kind of, they also just shit the bed. So I think those two teams, both biggest losers from this NBA playoffs. Yeah, and, and part of the reason why they're biggest losers is because they had a window, right? And the Rockets' window was, I don't want to say it was wide open, yes, last year, but it was it was definitely open, and they were able to fit through that window. This year it closed a little bit. Chris Paul's a year a year older, a little banged up. Clint Capella was a little banged up. James Harden had to be uh, not human for like a three month stretch just to keep them in the playoff hunt. Um, so their window closed just a little bit more. And I think what makes them a bigger loser than maybe they would have been in a regular year is that now Chris Paul's another year older. Now their cap is that much tighter. Now their flexibility is that much trickier to figure out to to get better next year. And that's why the Rockets are a big loser. I don't think it's because of how they lost specifically. It's because now moving forward, how do they get better? And the same thing. That's with, a great question. This yeah. summer, I don't know. Maury's always tinkering, but <laughs> he always it, it, he always does he's something. A tinkerer. He, yeah, he's gonna do something, and it may be crazy. It may be subtle. Um, you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt to put a good product on the court. And then with the Celtics, they have tons of decisions. Are they in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes? Do they even want to bring back Kyrie at this point? There's so many questions with the Celtics. What do they do with all their draft picks? So they're the losers based off of they don't know what's next for them on top of a disappointing outcome uh, in this playoffs. I, I don't – Daryl Morey is kind of weird. He's a weird – like kind of folk hero in in the world of basketball at this point, he almost is like reminds me of Billy Bean from uh, from baseball. Oh yeah, for sure. There's tons of uh, things similar between those two. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, they try to do the most of what they have, but it's it's a similar thing of like, okay, that's cool, but it's still not getting you there for whatever reason. And something I touched on with Alec Argento, I think maybe two podcasts ago. It was the day before the draft lottery because then me and you did the emergency draft pod uh, or draft lottery pod the next day. But Alec and I tried to talk about the similarities with baseball and basketball with more and more analytics coming into the game. But the playoff analytics success doesn't always convert, right? So we know about home runs and strikeouts and walks in baseball becoming this three-outcome sport. Basketball similarly has become the three-point, the free throw, the layup dunk outcome sport, the three-outcome sport as well. That's been great for many teams in the regular season, the Rockets being Exhibit A. But when you think about these playoffs, you think about 
the Warriors, and before Kevin Durant got hurt, they're hitting tons of mid-rangers. Clay's willing to take mid-rangers. Steph's willing to take mid-rangers. Because when it comes to a shortened series, your uh, numbers advantage from taking threes and free throws and layups shrinks, right? And your room for error also shrinks with that. Uh, all, Kawhi Leonard, another guy who really carried his team through mid-range jump shots. Giannis, on the flip side, was unable to hit those mid-range jump shots, and he shot a very poor percentage outside of three feet from the basket, and that seemed to be their downfall. So do you see anything with the similarities with baseball and basketball with analytics come playoff time just not quite pulling the same weight as it does during 82 games? I think it's a good guide. It's a great tool. Um, But at the same time, things get a little bit more sporadic i guess in the playoffs is is the word uh you don't know how all players are going to react you don't know how other teams are going to game plan for you i think that's the great variable in 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 those are the two great variables in the regular season it's just you got to take it one game at a time you got to move forward it's a long season everyone's just kind of sticking with the game plan and doing whatever their role is to win and then in the playoffs people certain people have to start stepping up you think of like Rodney Hood and the quadruple overtime game or, or things of that nature. And then the other thing is you have seven games potentially against the same opponent day after day after day. It's like every other day. So it's really who can make those micro adjustments and really identify what's hurting you most and, and clamp down on it or exploit it or what, whatever you have to do. And the, the teams that can turn around on that quicker, I think, I think that's the big difference. I don't think it's necessarily what your team's overall philosophy is with analytics or three-point shooting, free throws, layups, mid-range, whatever. It's really just a matter of, all right, what's the team giving us, you know, and what are they doing to hurt us, and what, how can we exploit um, our advantages? That's really more so what it comes down to rather than sticking to philosophy and principles. It's really about adapting. Right. And that was our that was our biggest criticism for the for the Rockets after they got eliminated. It was look, I get what you're doing. It's you're showing that it can be successful up to a certain point, but there's really just there's something you have to do, something you have to tweak. It's not maybe not a big thing. It's just whatever little thing you need to make happen. Right. And I say it uh I've said I've said it before in this podcast and I'll say it one more time here. I understand the analytical best shots in basketball. I'm a huge proponent of it come regular season. But when it comes to the biggest moments, a tie game or final four minutes of a fourth quarter, the best shot is the one that goes in. And it might not be the shot you want (laughs) a hundred times throughout the regular season, but it might be the shot that goes in in that moment. And Kawhi proved it and CJ McCollum proved it different points of this series when they were winning games that it may not be the pretty shot. It may not be the analytically smart shot, but it's the one that goes in in that moment, and that can put you over the hump. Another thing in regards to this quickly here, when you're talking about playoffs, and you said you said it perfectly, not all guys are going to react the same. And that's why we saw guys like Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet drastically swing a series, basically, uh, as role players who started to make shots. You know what? You can chalk up Fred Van Vliet for 34% from three uh, over 82 games, right? But when it comes to a seven-game series, he may shoot 10% for the first three games, and that's not good. But in game four and five, if he shoots 60%, he now changes the outcome of a really important game, you know? So 
the way these role players react, the way these role players perform, whether it be a, a home road thing, whether it just be a getting hot thing, where for Fred Van Fleet having his baby, all of a sudden he turned around his playoffs, those things now come into play as well. I mean, a guy like Kevin Looney, in a moment of the Rocket series, he thought, this guy can't even be on the court. And then all of a sudden he looks great. He's getting rebounds, he's putting in easy dunks, easy layups, and completely shifted. That getting paid. Yeah, he got completely shifted his look from one start of the series to the end of the series. And to, to your point about just kind of like the high variance thing, one thing Stan Van Gundy, I believe, is on Zach Lowe's podcast in the middle of these playoffs. And he said, as a coach, when you're trying to game plan, it's, it's as you said, it's essentially, you know, not what's the best shot? The best shot's the one that goes in. That's the best shot. And there could be a moment in your season where you draw up a play at the end of a game, and if it goes in, you made the right decision. If it goes, and if it doesn't go in, you made the wrong decision. And that moment, while the ball's hanging in the air, is the difference between good coach, bad coach. Good, you think of like Game Seven and Round Two for the Raptors when they hit the when Kawhi hits that shot against the Sixers. If he misses that shot, they're like, "Damn, that's the shot he goes with." Like right. just buried in the corner over a seven footer, like. Nick Nurse got to you know pull up some better ATOs or whatever. Also, let's and, just let's just say this: if that's not a tie game, he's not taking that shot. If that game is down one, he's taking a different shot. In my opinion, there's no way with a a down one situation is he running to the corner to take that shot. Oh, uh, now you're playing the hypothetical game you don't want to play before. Make up your mind. I'm just saying. <laughs> Make up your mind, bro. That's fair. The you other the other thing up. he said on that pod was uh, to your point about uh, Fred VanVleet was. The guys that concern you are not the ones who shoot two or three threes a game. It's the ones that shoot like five or six. Because there could be a game where they're going, you know, they're one for six, one for five, and it's great. But then all of a sudden they're six for seven or five for seven or something like that. And they really change the outcome because they hit four threes in a quarter. And now all of a sudden, instead of being, you know, up two points in a quarter, you're down 10, all because someone like, you know, Alfonso McKinney is getting like three offensive rebounds and getting six extra points. And it's like those little things, momentum is so, so important in basketball because it's so free flowing and, and, and every possession, if you're on the road and you, you can't get a stop, you feel like you're suffocating. And especially you can feel it as a fan. I'm sure you can feel it as a player, like those guys, no doubt know exactly what's going on. So it, it's really a matter of how players react and, you know, everyone makes fun of J.R. Smith, but like at a certain point, that dude has no conscience, and sometimes you need a guy like that. It's true. Uh, I didn't think we were going to go down the J.R. Smith for getting the score road here, but we did. You know who? You know who I miss this season? <laughs> J.R. Smith. <laughs> yeah, for real, he went. Not off. LeBron. I miss J.R. J.R. went off the grid like legit. We didn't hear from him after like a month into the season. It was pretty crazy. Um, I but, saw him at the Prudential Center a bunch. He was going to see like Seton Hall Rutgers games and all that stuff. He was not with the Cavaliers. <laughs> he was not in Cleveland, let me tell you. If we're also name-dropping, I saw a Joe Kim Noah, a wild Joe Kim Noah bike riding down 8th Avenue today. <laughs> that must have been a scene. Was it a city bike? I hope it was a city bike. It was. It was a city bike. It, it, was, <laughs> it must look so ridiculous dude, on that thing. I see this guy, and I walk down 8th Avenue every single day. And I'm not talking 8th Avenue in, like, in the 70s up on the Upper West Side. I'm not even talking it down by, you know, down by Houston. I'm talking like six blocks from Times Square. I'm talking there's heavy foot traffic in this area. Now, half of the motorists probably don't even know who Joe Noah is. Half the other people are just New Yorkers. They don't care who Joe Noah is. But I see this Goliath of a man on a city bike coming at me. I'm like, 
is that Joe Kim Noah? Comes closer. I'm like, that's Joe, that's Joe Kim Noah. And I tried to like make eye contact and give him like a head nod, you know, like be a cool guy. Didn't mm-hmm. work. He didn't see me. He didn't care. I love the idea of Joe Kim Noah being a tourist in his own city. <laughs> Just chilling on a city bike. Looking back, I should have gave him a, yo, Joe Kim. And he probably would have been like, what's up? He probably would have gave me something. But anyways, let's tie up this talk here uh, about the playoffs as a whole. I'm just going to say this, and then we're going to close on the Bucks before we truly preview the Raptors-Warriors series and how we see we see it play out. Um, to all the people out there who are casual NBA fans who have complaints, I get it, right? You watch NBA game in the regular season, and you see a bunch of threes, and you see average defense, and you say, this is not the NBA that I love. This is not the game I want to watch. It's not exciting, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I don't always agree. I mostly don't agree. But if you feel that way, and you think you do like NBA basketball in some sense, you need to watch the playoffs. Because if you think they don't play defense in the regular season, goddamn do they play defense in the, in the playoffs. And goddamn do they play their absolute ass off in the playoffs. And it has been fun to watch, top to bottom, every single team basically in the playoffs, put on a performance Maybe you could take out the Pistons and the Magic. Even the Magic made a little run at some point. But the difference They were between, ahead in that series. They were. The difference between regular season basketball and playoff basketball is real. I think both are great. But if you're not a huge fan of regular season basketball, you just like to follow it from afar, make sure you tune in for the playoffs because it is awesome. It's my favorite thing every year. Every Well, I love the tournament also, but really I love the finals more than anything. And the playoffs leading up to it, and people are right. In past years, it has been lacking a little bit. But this year, I thought it really, really, really delivered for all the reasons we laid out. Yeah, that sense of it being open. That sense of everybody kind of having a little bit of a shot again. Um, but let's tie it up with the Bucks here before we get to our preview. Obviously, Giannis had a little bit of a disappointing end to his playoffs. He had his little walk-off in his press conference, left Chris Middleton hanging. Is there cause for concern? with the way the Raptors were able to slow down Giannis and really treat him like Ben Simmons in certain points of that series? Or is this par for the course of him going through some growing pains and he's just going to come back bigger and better than ever? I think he, I mean, I would give the same report to him that I give to Ben Simmons is essentially, now granted Giannis is well ahead of where Simmons is currently, but you need to extend your range like he's he knocks down like a couple threes in a series you know maybe you get one a game if you're lucky but just the, like no one respects it still like no one's gonna step out on him they're gonna give him that shot 100 times out of 100 because they know he's such a monster and in the paint i think his the number one thing for the bucks this offseason is just kind of uh individual uh, skill development for Giannis. that's it and then after that do you give Middleton the max? Do you like how big do you want to extend him? I don't know. What what do you think about middle the Middleton question? It's tough because he had games where he was fantastic, and then he had games where he disappeared. So it's really challenging, and I don't know exactly what I would do if I was any NBA franchise. But if I am the Milwaukee Bucks, I don't know who else I'm giving that max to. Who yeah. you know? So that's if, where I kind of am on. If it, I'm the Bucks. Chris Middleton wants to be here. I'm giving him the max. Maybe I'm trying to give him a little Clint Capella treatment and say, hey, I'm going to pay you. You're going to get 18, 19, maybe 20, but I can't give you 25. And I know it sounds like 
you're kind of nitpicking, but it makes a difference when it comes to cap. It really does. Uh, when you can sign those Brooke Lopez's of the world, when you could sign those uh, Eric Bledsoe's and George Hills of the world, it makes a big difference. So maybe I give him the Clint Capella treatment and say, we really like you. We like you enough to give you $100 million, but we're not giving you $130 million. And I think it's worth it. I think Chris Middleton's a buck moving forward. I, I would agree. I think it's I think it's more likely they maximum that they don't. But how bad does that Bledsoe contract feel right now? You know what? It stinks because after they gave him the contract extension, he really played well in the regular season. And then come playoff time again, he had a couple good games, but mostly disappointing. And George Hill and Pat Connaughton looked more capable than Eric Bledsoe. And that is not a good look for my guy. Yeah, that's that's like a sh- I struggle with those guys who have been on, like, he was on the Clippers before they were good, and then he ends up on the Suns. Was there anywhere in between that? Um, no, Phoenix to Milwaukee. I don't think so off the top of my head. straight to Milwaukee he went. Yeah. So I never really liked him on any of those teams because he couldn't shoot. And then he gets to Milwaukee. He feels like he's got more space because he's got more shooters around him, and all of a sudden every shot he takes is wide open. His numbers improve. He's playing great defense, like they had the best record in the league, all that stuff. And then he kind of just kind of he sort he just fell back to earth. Like they treated him the same way they treat Giannis, where it's like, okay, you two, we're gonna build a wall. We're gonna make everyone else just hit every three, and we're gonna we're gonna over um, over. Uh, challenge on it over recover on every shot basically and make make people put the ball on the deck make pat Connaughton, george hill brooke lopez all those guys beat us with the dribble and you know they might have given up some wide open drive those guys did play well in the playoffs but that's not their game that's not what they do best and when you have two guys on the court and this is like this is again this is kind of a similar situation that the sixers have where you have Embiid and you have simmons their two best players can't shoot so if you can kind of defend them the same way, you got, you know, forty percent of your offense has the same issue, and the same weakness. How do you really, how, how do you overcome that? Because then you can guard two with one guy, and essentially, if you build a wall in the paint, they can't. You're not worried about anything else they can do. So, I I, I worry about lack of versatility when it comes to offense. Like everyone says not just about shooting, you got to do this, that, the other thing. All right, yes, but you have to score from different levels. Like, we were all enamored by Giannis scoring in the paint, but he was only scoring in the paint. So now what? It was either the paint or the free throw line. And, and when you build oof. a wall, he can't get near the rim. He can't even get attempts. What, like, what do you do then? Also, Giannis's biggest downfall, arguably, in this playoff series against the Raptors was his free throw shooting. Um, he's, yeah. a, he's a career high 60s, low 70s guy, and he shot below 50% from the free throw line. And that is the formula for disaster when it comes to Giannis. The two things, that mid-ranger and free throws. I think the three-pointer is nice, and his level of three-point shooting right now is passable, but the 15-foot shot, the little fadeaway from the post, those are the shots that he needs to master because those will allow other people to get near the rim, will allow him to get near the rim. And then when he gets to the free-throw line, he needs to be 75%. If you want to be an absolute star player, an absolute closer, you need to be 75% at least from the free-throw line. And obviously below 50 is not going to cut it, but if he's at 60, that's pushing it as well. So those are the things that he needs to work on. And I have one more thing on Giannis here that I want to run past you and see what you think. So I'm going to equate it to my guy for a second, right? James Harden. James Harden obviously has an MVP under his belt now. 
He could have two. He could have three MVPs under his belt by now, but I'm not even going to go there. But when comes playoff time, he has been labeled a choker. And he has been labeled coming up short in the biggest moments. I don't totally agree with that sentiment, but I get it. He hasn't gotten over the hump. He hasn't made it to the finals. He has played in two conference finals. His points per game has gone down a little bit. In the playoffs, his percentages are down a little bit. But that's pretty normal for like 98% of players. And he got crapped on. Now, if you ask me, objectively, Giannis's performance in this playoffs are kind of similar, right? So his efficiency went way down. His ability to close went down. His confidence seemingly went down a bit. And he didn't quite get the criticism that James Harden would have. Now, my question to you here, is that because he's still pretty new to us? Is that because he hasn't really been here before? Is it because he doesn't have the MVP title attached to his name yet? Because in my estimation, he had a performance that would have deserved criticism. But I'm going to give him a pass, and I think a lot of people give him a pass, because this is his first go-round. This is his first time in the conference finals. This is his first time out of the first round. He doesn't have the MVP attached to his name just yet, even though he likely will starting next season. Do you think he deserved more criticism? Or do you think it was just a standard uh, career development arc for him in, in this playoffs? I think it's closer to just the standard arc. Uh, when you look at James Harden and how he got benched in in uh, against the Clippers and Josh Smith is like the savior of the season at that point, like that's really bad. Like if Giannis is just sitting on the bench and then I don't and even know. He what was on the bench in one, in one game. He did roll his ankle a little bit. So I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah I digress. but I digress. that was that was different. Like. It, Harden sat like the entire fourth quarter because he was just playing like shit and he couldn't do anything. So I don't know what the equivalent would be for the Bucks. Maybe I guess not Brooke Lopez because he actually plays all the time. Ilyasova, like if if Giannis was just like so terrible and then Ursan Ilyasova just like hits six threes and a half, like then we might have an issue. Right. Or if. They're playing in a series, and Giannis is just like crushing it from the beginning, and then at the end he just like completely runs out of gas, and he scores like 15 points. Like right. he really just can't do anything, and he really just like looks like he's on drugs. Like that's how bad. Like Harden, for as much as people like to call him a choker, like he was those two seasons when they when he just ran out of gas against the Spurs, and then he was unplayable against the Clippers. That was before. The, that was. Three years ago, or four. Like yeah, that four was three ago? and four years ago, I believe. Yeah. So, like that—that's before he really became like MVP, James Harden. So, I—that was him just kind of taking his lumps. Those lumps just happen to be particularly ugly, I think. And that's what people just kind of remember. Again, the playoffs is where right. your legacy is made, and I don't think Giannis has really crippled his legacy because, look, last season he had fucking accountant as his head coach you know like <laughs> what are you gonna do like at that point at with the team they had he was playing a lot of thon maker it got real weird it got very so, weird tony snell yeah tony snell it was real real weird so that kind of was like a wash for right. everyone so, at that point so like, basically if this happens again and then maybe again then it's like okay Giannis, you, you're great for 82 now show it show it He's not yeah, quite. I mean, he's not we'll quite. See, it's a, not. It's not necessarily about just it happening again. It's how does it happen? Right. If he like, just if the, yeah, if it's a better team and he gets beat, which you know could be said about some of the James Harden situations, but it's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not the Spurs one though. That's fair. Um, 
yeah, no, I get it. But if it happens again and again, he'll start hearing the negativity a lot more. But I, I do agree. Even though I brought up the point, I do agree. It's not time to panic on Jay- on Giannis yet. It's not. It's not time to label him a choker, not by any means. Um, but now... Just because you lose doesn't mean you choke. He He does now have that in his back pocket, and that experience exists. So his leash in the public eye, I assume, will get a little shorter every season, uh, so on and so forth. But anyways, on to the series that we're here to talk about. 45 minutes into the Sports Blog New York podcast. Thank you all for listening. We had to touch on that playoffs, though, because it was, it was so fun. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of players, a lot of teams to talk about, and obviously we're going to keep coming at you all off season. I mean, the real season starts when the finals ends and the rumors start swirling and the Durant rumor and the Leonard rumors and the Kemba and the Kyries and the Middletons and the Tobias Harris and the Sixers, Knicks, Brooklyn Nets, Clippers, Lakers. This stuff is not going to stop anytime soon. So we will be here with you to talk about all these teams. But right here, right now, it's time to talk about the NBA Finals. So quickly, as we sit here today, game one, Thursday night, the Raptors are currently minus one point favorite. Which is a little bit shocking, but they got home court advantage. They um, are more healthy than the Warriors. Obviously, Boogie and Durant are not going to be playing in Game 1. So we have Raptors minus 1 in the first game of the series. But the Warriors are minus 285 to win the series. So the Warriors are still heavy favorites to win it all, despite the Raptors being favorite in Game 1. So off the bat, Duff... What is your projection? Uh, don't give us like your pick or how many games just yet, but what is this series going to look like from a matchup standpoint, from a who-needs-to-step-up standpoint? Uh, I think this series is a, like a really a big mystery, and I'm not trying to like cop out of it. I really think it's really, really strange. Well, it sounds, it sounds like a cop-out. Well, you know, you're, you mentioned that you mentioned the Raptors being like a one point a one point favorite in this first game because they're like the the home team, right? So then, if they're going to be just like a one point favorite at home every time, they got four games at home theoretically in this series. So then, why are the Warriors like a favored to win the series at like minus two eighty? Like, how does that work? If there's mostly games where the Raptors are going to be favorite, how are the Warriors favored in the series? Well, let me pull out a football analogy real quick for you because I don't know if there's an exact number when it comes to basketball, but we know in football you get three points for being the home team, right? So, say it's yeah, an, I don't know what that number is for basketball. I, I don't know if there is one. There might not be a specific number because the the ability to win on the opposing floor is is probably much better in basketball. So I don't know if there is a number, especially with you know if it's Raptors versus. The Sixers, it's obviously going to be very different than Raptors versus the Warriors. So in, in football, neutral site, evenly matched teams, it's a pick em, right? If you go to the home team, they get three points off the bat. They'll be a three-point favorite. So let's just say if this game's in Golden State on game one, I'm gonna I'm just going to go out on a limb. I'm going to make this up. I'm going to say the Warriors are probably three-and-a-half-point favorites, and that's a four-and-a-half-point swing. So that's, that's not small. I know sometimes basketball spreads can be a little funky. You think, oh, it's the difference between three and a half or four and a half. A lot. <laughs> it's a big, so much. It's a big difference. So much in any point spread. Like one point is enormous. Right. So these games, sometimes you think they're they're not as close or it's a free throw here or it's a BS bucket at the end of a game. It doesn't matter. That, that kills the spread. So I don't put too much stock into them being favorite by one point. It's it's basically a pick em a jace in my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that, that's why maybe they're giving them the benefit of the doubt by being home. But it, so if you the, don't if, think the line is strange? No, not at all. If the Warriors oh. win Game One by two points or eight points or fourteen points, it doesn't matter. I think the Warriors will be a, a three and a half, four point favorite in Game Two. Now, if the Raptors win win Game One, I think the line stays about the same and they're a one point favorite again. I don't think if the Raptors really don't think it shifts any like as a must win for anyone. Well, it wouldn't be a must win because the Warriors are going back. Right. So if the Raptors win by 15, maybe then it's a three or four point spread. But I, I don't even think it, it goes higher than that. Like if the Raptors win at all, I think it stays around a one point spread because it, it's very expected for the Warriors to at least split in Toronto. Can I tell you something? I'm sorry we're turning this into like a gambling podcast right now, but That's it's okay. just like I, I don't I don't necessarily gamble on these games because I can't. But I find all this stuff like really interesting. It's fascinating. Especially now that, like, I live in New Jersey and now people talk about it all the time. Um, but what do you think, like, what percentage of the money for this game do you think is on the Warriors versus on the Raptors? So my initial reaction would be the public is hammering the Warriors here. Like that, My initial reaction is just there's no chance in hell that the public is going with the Raptors, Right. And I use the Action Network app. It's a great app if you want to download it, if you're into gambling or even just into these lines and stuff. Um, currently, right now, 80% of the bets are on the Warriors. And I don't have, because I don't pay for Action Network apps, I'm not privy to all <laughs> the information. Um, but 80% of the bets are on the Warriors. It doesn't say how much of the money is on the Warriors. So just a quick inside gambling thing to keep it here for a second. If 80% of the bets are on the Warriors and 90% of the money is on the Warriors, that means the public and the professionals are betting the Warriors. But if 80% of the bets are on the Warriors and only 55 or 60% of the money is on the Warriors, that means the professionals, the Sharps, the people who put big money on these games, are actually leaning towards the Raptors. So I'll probably get that information closer to Thursday. Uh, I could probably look it up somewhere else right now. But my guess is that the public is hammering the Warriors and the professionals are split leaning towards the Warriors. Yeah, I got. I'm showing seventy percent on the website I'm looking at, and it's the same situation as you. It's just the number of bets, not the actual money. But I find this to be like a pretty good guide as to what is is or isn't going to happen. Like, especially because this is essentially a pick'em, like you're talking about. So this is making me think that the that the Raptors are going to win the game. That like I really feel like they're going to win game one, just because like most people who gamble are just like regular. Joe blows out there that have no idea. <laughs> and and it's just going to be like okay, like you're telling me I just have to pick whether the Warriors are going to win or lose, like why wouldn't I pick them to win? And like that's how that like but that's the only reason to me that the line would be so so or the line would be so like freakish towards the or the odds would be so freakishly favored to the Warriors side. It's just because right. they not because they think it's that likely that they'll win the series, it's just that likely that they just try to split the money up and put it even on both sides, right? So Vegas wins no matter what. Right. So I'm looking at pregame.com right now, and it has 84% of the bets on Golden State, 76% of the money on Golden State. So it's a, not a huge percentage difference in the money to bets, but it is a difference. So that means there are some sharps out there who think the Raptors are going to win. And I have this inkling, I have this thing that I've been doing to some success. I'm not saying like I'm, I'm out here rolling in cash over here. But I, like you, when I see a number like that, I automatically will think 
they're begging me to take the Warriors. I can't take them. I see that number. Oh, I can get I can get the Warriors at basically a pick them. Everybody and their mother is going to say, well, clearly it's the Warriors. So I'm going the other way. Like, that's just the way I like to gamble. I just like to just, whatever I automatically think, I go the opposite way because I think Vegas tries to make it look easy when it's not. So I'm with you on that sense of it where that makes Fade me want yourself like yeah exactly that makes me want <laughs> it makes me want to bet the the raptors despite my confidence level if it's high or not i don't know but that number seeing it my initial reaction is i have to bet the raptors cuz they are dying for me to take the warriors that's how it seems honestly i don't but from a matchup perspective like from the actual basketball matchup perspective yeah let's let's get, I, let's get off the gambling <laughs> no no what i think no no but like here's the justify like i think what can happen for the Raptors is essentially just have Kawhi guard Steph Curry the whole game. Mm. Just really start to finish. Like, I don't know what, like, see how that goes. And don't, like, what What are you saving any tricks for? Are we going to waste any time making Kyle Lowry going to chase him all around the court? Like, we know he hates that. Uh, why are we going to risk, you know, just starting with Danny Green and then maybe Curry gets hot and there's nothing anyone can do? Because that's a very real possibility. Don't pull any punches. Like, this is the finals. You've never been here. If they put Kawhi on Steph Curry to start this to start this series and, and really use him as the, the stopper so that they can't initiate anything in the half court, you know, and the, and the most important thing for their defense, the Raptors, is to score, like make the Warriors take the ball out of the basket, inbound, and, and play in the half court. And if you have Kawhi pick up Curry from, like, midcourt, he has to get rid of the ball – immediately so take it out of his hands and force him to run around you can switch things after that but like the most dangerous person on the court for any offense is the person with the ball so if that's not Steph Curry you are you've kind of already won that battle I I actually I I kind of vehemently disagree um really there's two reasons why one Steph Curry is so comfortable without the ball he actually prefers to give it up once he gets past half court. Give it to Draymond, give it to Clay, give it to a big at the elbow, and then he starts running around. And I don't know if I'm willing to put Kawhi Leonard through 45 screens in the first half. Like I, the first half of game one, I don't know if I want that when I know I'm going to need him offensively and I know I'm going to need him defensively moving forward. I, I, I kind of disagree. I don't think you can put Kawhi Leonard on Steph Curry. Um, for a full game off the bat. I, I think maybe game two, if it's really working, because then on, on the other hand, what happens if Kawhi Leonard guards Steph Curry off the bat, and now Kawhi's running through 14 screens, and all of a sudden Steph Curry hits three threes in the first four possessions? Then what? Then your best defender is now neutralized. Your best defender, your stopper, your all-world player in Kawhi Leonard, he can't even keep up with Steph? Now what? Now I'm screwed is what it is. So No, but th- then it's like, no, to me, you put Kawhi on him. He's huge. He's long. He can recover quickly on on any closeout. And then you, you're you just super physical around every screen. Like, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, you always have a hand on him. Like, you're always touching him. Always keep contact. Basically do what the Cavs did in 2016, where they really just kind of, like, they they bang up. They bang him up a little bit. And you got to stay physical and slow them down. Like if you really stay ahead of him and don't let him run around screens or really put yourself between the screener and Steph, you slow down their offense. And then maybe ball pressure forces Draymond to put the, like put the ball in the, like Curry's running off of a cross screen 
and he's going to be on the left wing, and then all of a sudden Draymond needs to put the ball on the floor going th- towards his right. Like He's not going to make that cross-court pass past Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard. There's no chance. So if you really use Kawhi to just really slow it down a half a second, it can make a huge, huge difference in each and every play. Okay. I mean, I, I, I think it's a thing that they need to try. I'm not sure it's the first thing you try. Uh, let's think about some of the other matchups here because it needs to fit. It's like a puzzle piece here trying to guard the Warriors. So traditionally, Danny Green is the one who chases around Clay Thompson, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of just traditional. Um, and that leaves then Siakam as the their next best defender who's not Kawhi Leonard. You probably want him in some sort of rover situation, and that probably puts him on Draymond Green or the others, on Iguodala or on maybe even the big, so he can really, really roam around. But I don't know if you want Marcus All out by the perimeter trying to guard a pick-and-roll too often. I mean, he's a smart defender, and he's pretty damn good at just about everything on the defensive end. But he's not super quick, and you don't want him by the three-point line too often. So that's where it gets tricky for me. If Danny Green's chasing around Clay, Siakam's roaming slash covering Draymond Green, Kyle Lowry needs to guard somebody. Is he guarding Andre Iguodala? I mean, I know Lowry can hold his own in the post, and Iguodala's not going to do too, too much other than initiate some pick-and-roll stuff. So maybe that's the spot for Lowry, and that leaves Kawhi Leonard on Steph Curry. But that, I, I'm, uh, I'm fine with Lowry on Iguodala. But, uh, there, so, I dare, go ahead. You're going to post up Andre Iguodala. That's going to be your offense? I, I go know. ahead. I'm just saying. And then If I'm the Raptors, if you want to try to post up Andre Iguodala as your number one option against Kyle Lowry, I'm so happy right now. And Gasol obviously hangs around the rim slash guards Kamal Looney, helps off uh, on switches and, and passing That's lanes. the biggest trouble. Like that's, that's the most troublesome matchup to me is having Gasol in there. And then if they start running pick and rolls with Looney and they – they're going to drop Gasol and and not hedge out on any of those screens or switch or anything. He can't switch. So if he's not going to come out and hard hedge or something like 25 feet from the basket, you can't just drop screens and then, and and then uh, have Kawhi or Danny Green or whoever's covering Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, just go under those because they'll shoot over the top every time. That's the biggest, that's the biggest troubling matchup to me. And then Serge Serge Ibaka's role becomes interesting here because he's obviously a little bit quicker than Marcus All. He's equally. Or do you put Gasol on, you put Gasol on Draymond Green and have Siakam on Looney? Yeah, but Draymond Green is up by the top of the key too much. That's fine. Go ahead and shoot it with that fucking backpack on you, man. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not talking about him shoot. I'm talking about the short roll and he becomes a playmaker. Because if, if if Gasol's not up by the three point line, Gasol um, Draymond Green gets the ball with the head of steam running towards the hoop. That's where they thrive. That's where the Warriors make their money. I think I, that's how I would play it to start and just react. If Gasol can handle it, he can handle it. If Ibaka needs to come in and we need to switch things up, that's fine. And then we need to put Siakam on on Green to make the length uncomfortable for him. It, it's it's also it's so interesting with Kevin Durant being out. Because if Kevin if Kevin Durant was playing, it's obvious Kawhi Leonard is stopping Kevin Guarding Durant. Kevin Durant, and then everything else, you know, you do your best, right? That's mm-hmm. priority number one. But Kevin Durant's not here right now; he's not in the game. So who does Kawhi switch to? Does can Siakam chase around Steph Curry? I don't know if I trust him to do that. I he's a little too too wiry. I feel like Steph's going to eat him up, pump fake, dribble. I, 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 if if, if he does that and he does a good job of it, that would be that would be like legendary. Kawhi Leonard esque yeah, in legendary. like the twenty fourteen finals. Absolutely. Like, do you want to risk Clay and Steph getting decent 
to tough looks at three, which for them are are good looks, or do you want to force them to make plays going to the hoop? Do you want to make Steph and Clay have to drive? I think that's kind of what the Cavs did, right? They they mm-hmm. they were forcing them to try to get to the hoop and then crashing Coming and to being the post, physical. They might- get some like Steph is really great at absorbing contact and putting the ball high off the glass and kind of like lobbing it up over like top of the way over the backboard and just teardrop layups. He's really great at those. But every time he does those, he's going to get bumped. He's going to get knocked down. They might call it. They might not. And each and every one of those is going to add up. That's my perspective. If I'm, if I'm the Raptors, got it. You got to take your fouls, but make them, make them count. Yeah. It's interesting. It really is. Um, Let's talk about the other side here. Let's talk. I mean, we're going to hop back into this this matchup thing. It's extremely interesting how the Raptors are going to guard the Warriors, but the Warriors also have to guard the Raptors. Um, there's some more obvious things, right? Right? You you don't feel bad about Steph Curry guarding Kyle Lowry, but you could even throw Clay on there if Kyle's looking hot. Um, but you need two people to guard Kawhi Leonard and Siakam. So that's Iguodala and Draymond Green. Uh, that makes sense to me, right? Can Iguodala? do what he did against LeBron and make life hard for Kawhi Leonard? Does Iguodala still have that in him to make life hard on Kawhi Leonard? I think the Warriors start with Clay on Kawhi early in the game. I I think they do that and chase him around on the perimeter and they save. I'll take that if I'm Toronto. I think Kawhi can just get a shot over Clay. I really do. I think that's how they'll start it. I think that because then Iguodala, he he missed two games in the Western Conference Final. And granted, they've had eight full date like Iguodala hasn't played in like two weeks so he better feel great like I don't know what was wrong with him but he better feel great so really if you can try to cheat and maximize your depth and and say all right in the first half it's going to be clay in the second half it's going to be Andre Iguodala then then I think that makes it a lot easier for the Warriors and just in terms of expanding your depth and like artificially expanding it in terms of uh saving only playing those really tough minutes for half the game. And then you have like a lot of switchability. Like the only people I don't trust are really Clay and Kevon Looney. And like, I don't really think Looney would be that terrible, honestly. Or I mean, I'm sorry, Steph and Kevon Looney. Right. Yeah. You don't want Steph on Kawhi too often. <laughs> no, definitely not. You know, something about the Raptors. But offense. that was the number one thing that the, that the Cavs did in 2016. Again, they would put, they would hide, try to hide, hide uh, Steph on J.R. Smith. Mm-hmm. And then they would just put Jr. as the as the screener, and then the Warriors are switching everything, and then boom, there it is. Right. And think about Steph Curry; he's not a bad defender, but what he lacks in one on one physicality defense, he makes up for in passing lane defense and mm-hmm. and like smart reads. So that's why you need to avoid him getting on an island against someone like Kawhi Leonard. Um, but something with the Raptors offense that I find interesting, if you watch them against the Sixers versus the uh, watching them against the Bucks, it's a very different look. It felt like Kawhi was playing a lot of one-on-one, just beating his guy against the Sixers, making it to his spots, hitting big shots, and he, it really worked because other guys weren't hitting shots, and he put the team on his back. Against the Bucks, though, Norman Powell, Fred Van Fleet, Marcus Hall, Serge Ibaka, Kyle Lowry all had their games they all started making shots. They all started doing more things offensively. What what do you expect the Raptors' offense to look like? Do you expect them to fall into some Kawhi one-on-one situations, or do you expect the others, Norman Powell, Fred Van Vliet, Danny Green, Lowry, to do enough for them to play the team offense they prefer to play? I really have no fucking clue. 
No, like as these playoffs, <laughs> it's so crazy. but like that's just—it's so true. It's—I just have no, no, no clue. It's so and it's, weird. It's so tough to try to understand how they react. Now I think it's good that the Raptors will be home for Game One and Two of these finals, so that they can kind of find their rhythm and really maybe settle into it. And by the times Games Three and Four roll around, so guys like Lowry, Siakam, Powell, Van Vliet, all these guys you're talking about aren't overwhelmed by the the situation at that point they say okay we're not in front of a hostile crowd we're in our home city these are our fans they've they obviously have a lot of love for us and are pulling for us like 100 percent. we've it's not just the city it's they have an entire nation that's there behind them so it's it's, it really is a, a different feel for them i think just psychologically that can get them comfortable for by the time they have to go on the road that is good but like also I have no fucking clue because it's still the Raptors. Like right. I still can't get that out of my head. I understand Kawhi takes a lot of pressure off these guys. I understand he is the engine that drives his team now. And it's not like, okay, is DeRozan going to step up? Is Lowry going to step up to either one of them know that they're supposed to step up? It, it's like they have the guy they can all rally behind and say, dude, I don't give a fuck. We got that guy on our team. Like do what you can do what you're going to do to us. We have Kawhi Leonard. Like I, I feel comfortable now. You know what's funny? Remember when Danny Green for the Spurs, uh, I think it was the first finals against the Heat, where like if they won, he might have been finals MVP. Like he was mm-hmm. not. Yeah, wow, that's a great point. He I totally wasn't forgot about that. Missing from three. Like, and granted, in these playoffs, he has not shot the ball well. But would you be surprised if he becomes the most consistent shooter on the Raptors, like in this in this finals? Like, I wouldn't. That would be amazing. You can't be because he's been there before, and we were we were not joking. We were talking about how the Bucks. No, 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 but I mean, just how it would come full circle like that, right? Because they lost those finals. So if he did that and then they won these finals, that would be an like incredible arc. We talked about the Bucks not having experience. The guys on the Raptors who have experience are Kawhi, Danny Green, Serge Ibaka, and Marcus All. And Marcus All, his biggest experience is conference finals, and he's not a guy who's going to force shots. It's just not the way he plays the game. He does a lot of other things, and he can hit shots. Mm-hmm. So, like, does Dan- his main drive is to make dudes feel more comfortable, right? Like, be be a selfless dude. It's sometimes to a fault, but definitely to a fault. I wish he ripped more threes. I wish he shot the three ball the way Brooke Lopez rips threes because because all can hit him. I don't know if he hit him like that though. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, maybe I got a little rambunctious there. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean all right let me, let me let me say a name to you and tell me what you expect out of this guy norman powell dude i have no clue that's like being like what do you think of rodney hood in the finals it's like dude i have no idea because he was so bad with the Cavs, and then he was really good this year in the playoffs before he got hurt so it, it's it's a matter of situation i think you know, I think these Western Conference Finals gave the Raptors a lot of confidence. Like, I, that's, I mean, I actually have no fucking clue if it did or didn't. But I would think it would. <laughs> like, we haven't seen them play yet since then. But I would think it would, that would do that. Like, they would they win four straight? Three straight. Yeah, three. To close it out. Yeah, they won no, three straight no. to close it out. No, no. They went, did they go four straight? Did they do the, the douchebag sweep where they let them win two and then <laughs> four, win four in a row? Is that what that? that's called? I think I just I think it's a thing. I, I might have made it up. I may have not. I'm not sure. But let, let me let me pose it to you like this, okay? You got to pick a supporting cast. And I'm going to give you these names. You got to pick, okay? The Raptors, Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, uh, Serge Ibaka, and Danny Green versus 
Kevon Looney, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, Jonas Drebko, Quinn Cook, and Jordan Bell. I mean, I really lean towards the the Raptors in that scenario, but like, not with confidence, you know. Like, on, but the other, well, but paper, the other thing is, on is on that paper, they they're better. like. The other thing is the Warriors have Stephen Clay and Draymond like right. driving the engine of that offense. So like I have supreme confidence in those three, but I have like slightly more confidence in the Raptors role guys. Right. And where so, where does that equation balance out? It so, was a douchebag sweep, by the way. It was a douchebag sweep? I thought so. Yeah. That's crazy. They won four in a row against a team that didn't lose three in a row all year. And only lost two in a row twice. Yeah. Or once. Yeah. That that happened. Wow. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Um, let's talk about Kevin Durant for a hot second here because we're, we're going to close out in a couple minutes. Kevin Durant, just gut. Obviously, we don't know anything. We're the NBA outsiders. We don't have inside sources here. Nobody has inside sources here. Is he going to play? Does he want to play? I think he wants to play. I like he's oh he's always wanted he wants his. To play. You're right. He he's always wanted his role in the team and this legacy, and I think he has it. And I think I, I think we all know what it's kind of going to be. He's going to be the mercenary that kind of joined the team, got it like one step above a ring chaser, but like still below someone who's really part of the team. Like just the way people think about this this team and and the way we like I. I myself in particular kind of grew as a basketball fan when Steph Curry came into the league because he was uh, he's about the same age as my brothers and they played against him in college and then they like my brothers left college so I kind of left college conceptually like I I started following the NBA more and Steph Curry and these cool Warriors teams were always kind of there not to say I was always playing super close attention but you know, we, they're all kind of homegrown guys. They have, you know, their their core. You know, Steph, Clay, Draymond, those three guys. And then KD kind of comes in, and he's a mercenary, and he wants to play so he can be part of a legacy. And I understand that, but I I don't I don't know that he's going to play. Like if they go up two zero, which I don't think is very likely. If they split one one. If they go down 0-2, like if they go down 0-2, he's playing. If they split, it's like, okay, maybe game three, game four, like what kind of split is it? They get blown out in one, close game in another, blow out one game, close game in a loss. Like what? what is it? Um, it, it? It's all a matter of situation. I think physically he's not close yet still, but we still have like another five or six games until game three. It might be like a, five or six days might be like a full week until game three. So game three he has some won't time be to until, figure it out. what, Monday or Tuesday next week? That's it? Well, Thursday. I thought it was every, I thought it was like every two games now, two days. Well, I think you know, two like day, three days would travel. Two days for travel, I think. So I think it would be Thursday, Saturday, and then game three should be Tuesday. Thursday, Saturday. No, they have to travel Saturday to Tuesday. Oh, wait. Yeah. No, yeah, they would have yeah. to travel. Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Then I could do one day between. Yeah, no, play Saturday, travel Sunday, Monday, and then play Tuesday. Oh, I forgot Sunday was a day <laughs> of the don't, week. Don't we all? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's too scary. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, five days. So I don't know if he'll be back and ready by then. Like I, Simmons and Rosillo brought up a great point. Essentially, it was like how many non-contact like 
strains or sprains do you see? Like if you if it's non-contact, you tear something. And that was something like my boss had uh, by my other job, like my night job, who's been around basketball in the NBA since the mid to late seventies at a high level, like whether it was Michigan or the Nets, like he has been right there. And he's like, I've never seen a non-contact spring. Right. Like before I even heard that on a pod, he's like, that's a hundred percent of tear. It might be an Achilles, and that's which what, would be terrible. I'm not wishing for that in any way, but like, are they even allowed to lie like that? If they know it's an Achilles, like I think if they, like, uh, I'm like a goody two shoes. Like I'm, a, I'm an anti-conspiracy theorist on that, that I feel like they can't lie. It can't be an Achilles and they say it's a calf. Like, I don't know. Like they can say the NBA, anyone does whatever they want. That's true. They can say it's a calf strain and it's really a calf tear or a pull or whatever. I don't know. I'm not trying to play doctor, but it's just a sketchy situation. Like it's just weird. And I, I'm just trying to get in the psyche of Kevin Durant and at the absolute selfish, most human part of a person being up to, Oh, is probably the worst case scenario. Cause then, it's a lose-lose. If he comes back and they sweep or they win with ease, he didn't do anything special, right? If if mm-hmm. they go up 2-0 and he comes back and they lose a game, then it's like a falling on his shoulder. So that's like the worst-case scenario. From the absolute selfish, most human place, again, if they're down 0-2 and he comes back, it's really only can go up from there for him. So 1-1 is probably the most likely outcome for the series. Is probably the most solid outcome for Kevin Durant if he comes back in Game 3. It's like an even slate. It's like a new series. So, like you said, the situation's going to dictate how this plays out and how much he will force to play or not to play. Um, but how weird would it be if we saw Kevin Durant's last game as a Warrior? It would be very, very weird. I can't even imagine that. That would be so strange. It would be that, v- that very it strange. would already have happened. Yeah. And none of us realized it. That'd be really disappointing, honestly. It would be. It would be a anticlimactic end to a arguably dominant anticlimactic stretch. dominant stretch. Like the most climactic point for Durant was the first finals where the Cavs were still very strong and it was a real series and he was the MVP and best player on the court. Because that series last year, despite having an amazing game one, it was a, a wash after that. Like it was over after that one. So. It would be disappointing. It would be sad, but it would almost be, and I, I'm I I hate to even say this, but it would almost be right. Like he mm. didn't he didn't start it. He's not ending it in a way. Like it's almost it's almost storybook where this guy this mercenary like you said came in, uh, and and brought them even higher than they already were. But now he doesn't even get the chance to see it end like that. There's something a little storybook to that, and not all stories end happy. So yeah. that almost like works for me in a story arc. And now he has to leave, not has to leave, but now he's out, and it didn't end how he imagined. And it, there's that much more motivation and that much more reason for him to continue and to do bigger and better things once he left the place that never truly, truly accepted him. I don't. I don't know what he wants. That's the most fucked up part. Like, he, how he weird is it probably, that, like... He probably doesn't know what he wants, because at heart, I believe he is a guy who loves, loves basketball and really, really likes his teammates. And he also really wants to continue to do big things. And there's a point where those things start to clash, and they all can exist. Yeah. He really wants to play basketball because he's a competitor, and he loves to play basketball. He really likes his Warriors team, but he doesn't 
feel like he's completely loved back. And then we also, see, he wants to stick see. it to them moving forward. And him not getting a chance to end his tenure as a warrior on the court will make him want to stick it to them even more moving forward. So there, there's a lot of things that exist perpendicular here. We could see the two best players, or the 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 two best players on each of these teams, respectively, n- not wear their team's jerseys again after the, these finals, which is so strange to think. They might just leave in free agency. Kevin yeah. Durant and Kawhi Leonard. Win or lose. Like, I could see either either one of those things happening. I could see Kawhi winning and leaving. Or staying. I could see the same thing for Kevin Durant. Like, the way people talk about him all the way out the door is pretty alarming. It is. Kevin Durant specifically. I mean, Rick Buecher, who uh, I don't know if he's my most trusted NBA source anymore. Uh, he's, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go into people's phones and, and try to guess how strong their sources are. But he said that Kevin Durant's house in the Bay Area is up for sale, and he just bought a property in New York. So, like, you hear this report, and it's been going on since game one of the, se- the season. It's, go- it's been going on since before the season started. And, and you just Is think, that true? Why isn't that bigger news? Because uh, Rick Buecher said it? Uh, maybe like it's I don't know if it's not Woj like one step above like Chris Broussard yeah yeah, exactly he's he hasn't done as crazy shit as Broussard but he's also not Woj Shams Lowe or Shelburne you know like he's not one of those four either so you know I'm not telling him he's wrong but uh I'm not like putting all my stock in it so it's just it's just strange man anyways let's make our predictions because it's time to to close this one out I hate it too. You know what? Let me just say this again. Uh, and to anyone who's still listening, shout out to you guys and shout out to anyone who's listened to our NBA coverage all year. Um, b- before the playoffs started, my thing was I think the Bucks are going to make it. But what I want to happen, and you can go back to the tape, and I said I want this to happen, but I didn't predict it. I just said I wanted it. I wanted Kawhi to pull his pants down and show the Eastern Conference that he's here and he's the best player here. And that's exactly what happened. But, like, <laughs> What's that have to do with his pants? <laughs> it has everything to do with his pants stuff. <laughs> pull his pants down and show him who's boss. You know what I mean? So that happened, but I didn't predict it. I just said I wanted that to happen. Like if I strongly said See, I, follow your heart. That's like, what you learned. If I think Kawhi is going to come out and show him who's boss, he's going to be the best player in the East, like I would feel really good about myself. But I can't even feel that good about it because like – I just said, oh, and by the way, I think the Bucks are going to win, but I would love to see this happen. Like, that doesn't mean shit. Like, I could, you know what I mean? I, I'm a fraud is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> but nonetheless. I'll second that. I'll second that after some troubling news I got this weekend from you. That I'm a fraud? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, now I, I, if you want, I'll, I'll make my prediction first. And even, oh, God damn it. No, this sucks. This sucks, Duffy. This sucks so much. Just because- make a prediction. No, no, no. Let's do, let's do this. Let's make our predictions for game one. Because it's impossible to be like, yeah, right. I think it's going to be, you know, Raptors and five. And then, like, something really bad happens to a player or something weird. You know, like, you right. just don't know. That's fair. Just and also, game one. I, what I was going to say why this sucks so much is because if I was just going to say Raptors and seven, I don't believe that. I don't believe that's going to happen. I might want it to happen. I might think it could happen. But if I were a betting man, which I am, I'm throwing that up as a Hail Mary. I'm not throwing that up as a confident bet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they're plus 250 to to win the series for a reason. They're not favorites. So I, I don't believe in my heart that they're going to win. 
but I think it can happen. So I'm saying Warriors in seven. I think they're going to friggin' rip the heart out of the Raptors on their home floor, and Jurassic Park is going to go extinct. I'm not I'm not predicting for the series. I'm putting my foot down here. There you go. I've had enough. Sorry. I did it anyway. I'm pre- I'm predicting game one. I think the Raptors jump out ahead 1-0. All right. I think by Friday morning, the Raptors will have a 1-0 lead on the series. I'll join you. I think so, too. I think uh, I'm betting the Raptors on Thursday, and I'm going to stick with my heart and gut and say Raptors win game one. But uh, I think it goes 1-1 in Toronto. Boy, this was fun, Duff. This was a good one. Yeah, it was. There was a lot of there's a lot to get digest here, but yeah. it was a fun playoffs, man. We can we can do. It was. It was fun. There were so many things that happened. So many teams that uh, made strong cases and poor cases for themselves moving forward. What are some of these teams going to do? I don't know. But we do know is the Raptors and the Warriors play Game One on Thursday night of the NBA Finals. The energy is going to be electric. I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to lock in. And and just see Jurassic Park going crazy, see Drake going crazy, and see maybe Steph Curry go crazy and lock in his first ever Finals MVP. It's going to be a blast. I can't wait. It's going to be fun, fun time. Well, with that, it's time to say goodbye. Sportsblog New York podcast, Pete Kennedy and John Lucas Duffy. If you guys like what you heard today, don't be bashful. Don't be bashful. Say what up. Hit me up on Twitter at Pete Kennedy with two Ys or at Sportblog NYC. Or, which we appreciate a ton, go to Apple Podcast app, go to iTunes, drop some stars, drop a little rating and review. Tell us what you think about the podcast, what you want to hear more of. Drop your take, drop your prediction for the NBA Finals, for Kevin Durant moving forward, because there's so much to think about, so much to talk about. And that's what we're going to keep doing here on the Sports Blog New York Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the finals.